You're tuned in to the Hearing Matters podcast with Dr. Gregory Delfino and Blaze Delfino of Audiology Services and Fader Plugs, the show that discusses hearing technology, best practices, and a growing national epidemic, hearing loss. On today's show, we have a very, very special guest. Her name is Valley Gideons, and she is an author, military bride, speaker, and mother of two thriving teens who were born with hearing loss. Valley, welcome to the Hearing Matters podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. We were so excited for this episode because your story is truly, truly incredible. And Valley, we're going to dive right into the episode. Can you please share with us your story? Because it truly is exciting. It's a very interesting story of how you have been raising children who were born with hearing loss. Whoa, how much time do you have? (laughs) It's always funny to be um, asked to tell our story because you don't know exactly what place to start. But for the purposes of this podcast, I would start with my son, Battle, being born in Cleveland, Ohio, and failing the infant hearing screening, and then being brought back two weeks later for the ABR testing, only to be told, after being sent to the little cold, dark room that they put parents in Mm -hmm. for bad news, that he had severe to profound hearing loss. And so that kind of began our walk with what this hearing loss meant having to get educated. We had no family history. It wasn't what we were expecting. So we were a military family. So at the time we were living remote, so we didn't have family nearby. So we really had to build a team of advocates around us that we could lean on, which was challenging being a military family. Once we kind of started to get our footing, we found out my second child also had hearing loss. So she has the same syndrome that our son has. And so 21 months later, had the next baby and continued the journey. Valley, can you share with our listeners the syndrome that both of your children were born with? It's called Pendred syndrome. And it's just basically a genetic mutation that together my husband and I cause. I don't know. I don't like that term. I don't, I really haven't come up with a good term. And so really the biggest thing is it's in causes enlarged vestibular aqueduct. And that's what causes the hearing loss. And other than that, they're just typical kids. Absolutely. So the challenging thing with the enlarged vestibular aqueduct is the hearing fluctuates. And so when you're dealing with babies who are wearing digital hearing aids programmed for their specific loss and their hearing could be changing, daily, Mm -hmm. weekly, monthly, whatever. That was pretty challenging, although they did become experts. Behaviorally, like being tested, both kids were so accurate very early on. Wow. So we were were pretty lucky. They both complied and became really good testers. And then, you know, we got to a point where in uh, the fluctuations that my son's hearing, his started off at a severe to profound, So his had dropped off severe enough that we decided to do a cochlear implant where my daughter's was only mild at birth, her loss. And so hers fluctuated in one ear enough that she got a cochlear implant, but she also wears a hearing aid in her other ear. So bimodal. Yeah. So she has enough residual hearing there that we're holding on to that hearing aid. Valley, you had mentioned you had no family around when the 
audiologist had reported to you that your son presents with a severe to profound hearing loss, correct? Now, to be told that you present with a hearing loss, number one, the stages of grief can start to settle in, right? But I'm curious to know, what were some of the feelings that you and your husband started to feel when it was told to you that your son presents with hearing loss? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that one. Because initially they told us it was probably just fluid in the ears, ear canal from the birth. So we really left the hospital, not even thinking twice about it. So when we were returning for that second test two weeks later, we really did not anticipate at all that we would find out that there was anything not normal with his hearing. So the initial feeling was shock, like complete shock. We were not prepared at all that that we would get the news, anything other than, yeah, he's fine. So, um, and then it wasn't the audiologist that talked to us at this particular clinic. We were put in that room and a doctor we hadn't even met. I called him Dr. Labcoat. That's the only thing I know about the guy that walked in and said, your son has profound hearing loss. They'll probably get hearing aids, maybe get a cochlear implant, probably go to mainstream high school. And uh, do you have any questions? And we're like, what? Huh? Oh my gosh. uh, So then we left with all these scheduled appointments. And needless to say, we changed clinics (laughs) because we, yeah, yeah, we, we knew this isn't the right fit because how we were told, and I do hope, and I think this is changing with uh, sensitivity training that's going on in schools and people who are becoming audiologists and whatnot in the profession, all, well, that deal with anything Um, you're diagnosing or giving this kind of information to parents is there is definitely a way you can give the information that's going to leave the parents feeling like there's hope and help begin the process of accepting. But so for us, it was just shock. And then it was denial of what the gravity of it was going to mean for a moment, like just didn't want to believe it because he wasn't going to get fitted for his hearing aids until he was six weeks old. So we had like four weeks to not have a baby with hearing aids. So a little bit of me, I think, was just holding on to that kind of denial. But we had set up all the appointments and starting to educate ourselves about it. And so there really was no time to grieve. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. There, There wasn't time because having an infant is so challenging. And then having an infant that then needs all these appointments and fittings. And then also then the full-time job of keeping hearing aids on an infant. Mm -hmm. There was just no time to really process. And that fluctuating hearing loss as well. You were just presented with copious amounts of information and the delivery of that information, of course, was insensitive. How important, Valley, is it for hearing healthcare providers and really any healthcare provider to practice empathy? You know, I think about the experience that we provide our patients here at Audiology Services, and we fit children with hearing instruments, adults, and individuals within the geriatric population. And most often, these individuals haven't had their hearing tested for 20, 30, 40 years. And then we let them know that they do present with a decrease in hearing sensitivity. And we we make sure we do it in a way that, like you said, is sensitive because to tell someone that they do present with a hearing loss, they are going to 
more than likely go through that grieving process. So again, how important is it for not only healthcare providers in general, but specifically hearing healthcare providers to implement and practice empathy? Oh, geez. I think, well, thank you guys for the work you do. Um, Sounds like too bad Pennsylvania so far. 3,000 miles away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Although we have an amazing, you do amazing audiologist. Yes. Yes. So I wouldn't trade her for the world. However, when we were living in Cleveland and we ended up finding a fabulous audiologist and a whole team, auditory verbal therapists, geneticists. Once we found the right fit, then we were in really good hands, like excellent hands. But it's a fine line because you don't want that professional to pity your child. Like we, it's not time for them to be crying about it. You know, I guess you want to have somebody acknowledge that this is a lot to take in. You've got to be very, uh, feeling very overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. It's okay to feel sad. And then you want someone to say in the, you know, in the next breath, but I assure you you're in the right hands and we're going to help to do everything to make sure your child has all the opportunities in the world and your child will thrive. It's going to take a while to get there, but you're going to get there and we'll be here to walk you through it. So letting you know you're not alone, but also acknowledging this is really hard. Don't make it like it's not a big deal. Don't say everything's going to be fine, right? Do not say everything is going to be fine. Do not, because it's not initially. Actually, to this day, I still hate the phrase. It'll be fine. You'll be fine. She'll be fine. Because it just is so uh, patronizing and just, it's almost, to me, it's like telling you to buck up, suck it up, suck it up, buck it up, buck up, they'll be fine, they're fine. And it's like, yeah, they'll be fine. That's what you had said in your blog post, and it sort of goes against the, the term empathy in and of itself, truly. And I think it's essential too, and I believe you'll agree with me in saying this, is that as hearing healthcare providers, we take that team approach. I don't know what it's like to present with hearing loss. But the patients that we have fit with technology, the patients that we have worked with, this is what we've done and this is what we found and this is how we can work together to accomplish your goal of better hearing and connect you to your new hearing world. Yeah, that's great. I think one of the really valuable things that they, the new team, I'll just call them the team now, the, the team that we shifted over to, they also um, invited us to meet other parents and we got to see, go, uh, we did the auditory verbal route. So we got to go just be spectators at a few sessions watching older, like toddlers, mm-hmm. They, you know, which toddlers seemed old to us since we had an infant, but uh, watching them, you know, playing and laughing and just looking like just typical kids and then speaking to parents who, I don't know, somebody who's walked in your shoes is important. And that's kind of, I guess, the basis for why I began this online community that I have, because, you know, my son is 16. So when he was born, there was not social media. There were, there were not easy ways to connect. I mean, locally, yes, if you happen to live somewhere where there was a community of particularly even cochlear implants, you know, it's not like every kid on the block has one. So I wanted to create the community that I wished would have been available when our kids were born because it's everything. You're doing just that. And 
to our listeners right now, Valley Gideons represents My Battle Call. And you can visit her community. It's mybattlecall.com. And Valley, I have to say, I've had the opportunity to go through your website. You have so many incredible resources, truly. Between the blog posts and the podcasts, you are a true advocate. You want to get that message out there. And you're doing this not only for your children, but the parents currently going through the same thing you went through. And that that's what we're about here, too, with the Hearing Matters podcast. So to be able to partner and team up with my battle call is such an honor. So thank you for the opportunity. And I was listening to one of your past podcasts, and you had said that audiologists are angels. Can you please expand on this statement and how it parallels my battle call? Let's take a quick break. Running a private practice is challenging, and it's especially difficult if you're using a management software system that's out of date or doesn't really fit your needs. As a former private practice owner, I personally found Cycle to be such an incredible tool that is easy to use and is really in the best interest of my patients. Cycle provides you with industry-specific workflows and features for a smooth-running front office, and if you've been listening to the Hearing Matters podcast, you will know that I believe that the front office staff is really the most important position in a hearing care clinic. Learn more at cycle.com. That's S-Y-C-L-E.com. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Sure. It's a tall order, right? To call them angels, but uh, I really do feel that way, particularly now having a 14 and 16 year old. You know, your ENT, you see annually, perhaps now less than that. I don't, we don't even have an ENT. Don't tell my mom, but with, <laughs> like our kids, they don't have any, our pediatrician, you know, it's, it's a well visit and it's a, you know, it's a good rapport. But when they were young, our auditory verbal therapist, of course, was key, but they worked hand in hand with the audiologist who I would say it has been had the most influence over our journey of any person that we interacted with. She has been the most encouraging and supportive and honest person when it comes to navigating this whole crazy thing. And that's important throughout this journey. Incredibly, incredibly it's so critical. important. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is that you are a military family and thank you for your service, truly. You and your family have moved many times. You lived uh, across the country, but you're originally from California. When you lived on the East Coast, you would actually fly to California to see your children's audiologist. I mean, when you say audiologists are angels, that's incredible. And you were so confident and had built up such great rapport with that audiologist Tell us why you and your husband decided to, even though you were living 3,000 miles away, maybe, why you decided to fly back to see your children's audiologist in California. So early on, we had a decent audiologist, and then we moved 
to another state and had to find somebody in an implant center. And it was an okay audiologist. But then once we got stationed out to California and met our current audiologist, it's like, whoa, we saw what right looks like. The dream team. That's what my husband, yeah, yeah my husband <laughs> and I say, once you see what right looks like, and she was never, she would never criticize what any other audiologist or any other professional had done. Good. That's not her yeah. way because that's, you know, that's not professional, but she would make her recommendations and be able to say why, with you know, backed up with information. So once we were dialed into her and our kids were, ba- I mean, we were in the decision-making process of our daughter getting a cochlear implant. So it was pretty critical time in our kids' lives. So she worked with us through that whole journey. And then by then the kids are building such a good rapport. And for me, I almost was sitting down for therapy sessions with her because in between all the, you know, audiology stuff, we're talking, I'm asking questions, we're exchanging, you know, stuff about the kids, things they do and say, and um, what's working, what's not working. So it was somebody who was like in our camp, able to just really collaborate with. And so then when we got orders out of California, my husband and I were like, there's no way we're... uh, shifting care on these kids now because the continuity for us was important. Now, not every military family, we had to do it on our dime. I mean, nobody paid for the travel. Plus I was from California. So flying home wasn't the worst thing, you know, coming home to visit with two kids. So that wasn't the easiest thing, but it just was important to us to keep that continuity of care. And I mean, it's a kind of a big deal in your kid's life, you know, audiology for kids who are deaf and hard of hearing. Absolutely. Kind of a big deal. Uh, Absolutely. And when we talk about building language and speech skills and things of that nature as a child to ensure that they are hearing and understanding speech, that is so critical. And I want to dovetail off what what you're saying. And if you can kind of deep dive into this, you had said it was sort of like a, a, a therapy session, quote unquote, in that it sounds like your audiologist listens. How important is it as providers and even as parents to listen, not to listen to react, but really listen to understand? How important is that? I love that. We have a quote my daughter said when she, this is when I knew everything was changing for her. She was like, you know, hearing loss is not about hearing. It's about understanding. Ironically, we were guests at our audiologist class she teaches at a college to audiology students. So we went as guests. And my daughter said that. And I swear our audiologist was so proud of her for saying it's not about hearing, it's about understanding. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with, uh, it's not about hearing, it's about listening for kids, right? You can hear it, but can you make sense of it? So I think our audiologist models that. It sounds like it. I mean, incredible, really. Yeah. And I think also, here's the other thing. I am really painting her out to be an angel, aren't I? (laughs) Really? (laughs) But I, I know I could go on. That is so important, Valley, because when you are teamed up with a provider, whether it's a PCP, an audiologist, ENT, when you just, when you click with that provider and you know they have your best interest at heart, my gosh, that makes the process that much easier. I mean, truly, uh, we're, we're a family private practice here, and we always tell our patients, listen, you're part of our hearing family. We're going to treat you like you're part of our family because we understand what goes into the overall process of 
living with hearing loss, being told you have hearing loss. And it can be scary, not only for new hearing aid users, but I'm sure it was scary for you and your husband when you were told that your child presents with hearing loss, which I'm curious to know, you had talked about in another podcast episode about that magic moment with children who are just fit with cochlear implants and the videos of the implants being turned on and the videos go viral. And that was on the um, All About Audiology podcast, great podcast as well. And that magic moment, which you had said, that's really not the magic moment per se. Can you please expand on that? With your belief system that that's actually not the magic moment because you you have children who you know, wear cochlear implants. Tell us more about that. Sure. Thank you. Well, going back to one quality about our audiologist that I think is important that I forgot to mention is she listens to the children. She talks directly. She has treated them like young adults. Wow. Their opinions mattered. Their feedback mattered. The appointments for them. This is your hearing. This is your ear. These are your ears. We call the devices ears. Yep, like same. this is you take ownership. You take ownership of this. I think they trust her because of that. And I love when adults do that to children and now teenagers. I love when they address. Don't just speak to the parent, but they actually speak to the child and listen to what they have to say rather than sitting there talking about them talking to them you know she talks she yeah to them with That's them great. so it's a collaborative it's not mom and and doctor it's collaborative so anyways back to the magic moments yeah we never had one of those although i have to say i am elated for people who have those moments i don't begrudge them and i mostly love cuz i love to look at the videos always to me i look right at the mom mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's that profound moment that the mom feels. But what I've written about that I feel strongly about is that that is setting an expectation that is often not the case for most people. Mm. And so if you go into your appointment, everyone's got their iPhones ready to take the video. And then your baby is crying, screaming, throwing them off because it's just too much sound. Yeah. And that's more typical. They're hungry. They're tired, whatever. Um, and then you don't get that moment and now you're disappointed and you think something's wrong. And so I think it's really important. I've always said, if we're going to tell our story, we have to tell the whole story, not just the pretty part wrapped up in the bow. I've asked my readers to share with me their magic moments and it makes me cry every time. So it could be as simple as your kid turns to their name for the first time or The first time my son, I'll never forget this, we're walking Cleveland all bundled up and he's a toddler and he says, I hear a bird. He pointed to his ear and looked up and he had heard a bird. And I I mean, done. I, I lost it. I'm like, I never thought he would hear a bird. And, you know, maybe if that hadn't been what was meant to be and he'd never ended up hearing a bird, I would not have loved him less or thought his life wasn't just as valuable. But it's those moments, like my daughter saying, hearing is more about understanding than hearing. Mm-hmm. My son is in Chinese three in high school, wow. like a deaf child who's speaking Chinese. He, I mean, he walks around now singing in Chinese. He has to record himself for school every night. They have to send in a recording to their teacher. And he's, he's very uh, artistic. And so watching him write the characters, he's got a photographic memory. Oh so I think Chinese 
comes easy to him as far as the characters, but to speak it because and his Chinese teacher wants to cry over him because I'm like, do you understand Mm -hmm. children who are deaf and hard of hearing? That's not the top 10 things that people tell them they're going to probably be able to do. And he's just doing it. So he must be wired very well for language. Valley, you and your daughter, Harper, recently released a book called Harper Soars with Her Magic Ears. You and Harper released this book February of 2020. To work together as a family, this has to be so special to to you and the family. Can you please share with us a little bit about Harper Soars with Her Magic Ears? Sure. Thank you. It's I can talk about this book for days. <laughs> it's called Now Hear This. Now Hear This, Harper Soars with Her Magic Ears. Long story short, I've been a writer since like second grade, I think, is when it really clicked with me when you I had SpongeBob. the most amazing teeth. <laughs> yes, I did create SpongeBob. I swear, I'm waiting for my royalties. I say that, but I'm not lying. Mrs. Shim was my second grade teacher, and she just thought every story I wrote was fantastic and encouraged me. And so I continued just to write on my own and um, and it wasn't until college that I had another professor who, because uh, I wasn't going down the track of journalism in college, and he just convinced me, you need to do this, and yada, 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 long story short. So it's, I was like one of those people, I was always like, you should write a book, probably too, because our life has just been so crazy. We've had like nine lives. <laughs> and you should write a book, you should write a book. But I really didn't have this burning desire to write a book, because it's pretty much something you have to be burning to mm-hmm. do to write a book is such a commitment. And I just, I was like, I have my blog and I write for magazines and that's kind of what I'm wanting to write about right now. And then Harper came home from fourth grade and you know, at the end of the school year, they had the big tattered backpacks full of all their stuff in the classroom for the mm-hmm. year. She plops it down on the sofa, takes off, probably to go get a snack. And I start unpacking the backpack because now I'm going to find old apples and, you know, dirty socks and whatever we're going to find <laughs> in the back. And I pull out her tattered, torn writing journal and I open it up. I sit, I mean, I am now, I'm not getting up. I start thumbing through this thing. Her teacher had done, they did daily writing prompts. So every day they started the day with a prompt and then they would just sit and write whatever, how many minutes of the day, which for me as a writer, I just think that is the greatest way to start a kid's day. It's reflection. It's sometimes they were funny. Sometimes they were deep. Sometimes they were, you know, what's your favorite candy? Use of imagination. Yep. Yes. And this particular piece that she had written was uh, entitled, the prompt was, what makes you unique? Hmm. And she wrote, I am unique because I am deaf. And she just went on to discuss how that she really feels like her role is to show kids that no matter what your challenges are, you can still do anything you put your mind to. And she likes to play basketball to show her hearing friends that deaf kids can compete just like hearing kids can. And the skies, I mean, all these metaphors and because I'm a military kid, I think it's even more of my battle call. And so, and I just like, that is the book. Wow. I'm like, that moment right there, I go, and I told Harper, I go, this is the book. She's like, what book? I go, this. <laughs> the book this, we're writing together. <laughs> it's, not my, it's not my story. It's your story. Your story is the one that 
people need to hear. She didn't really believe me. I'm not sure she was that into it. Um, She's been interviewed about it where she'll say, I didn't really think it would happen. It wasn't until it started to come to fruition, like, okay, I hired an illustrator. I'm working with publishers. Like, we're actually doing this. Then she got really into it and then started wanting to uh, really work on dialing in and buttoning up the manuscript and telling me, well, that doesn't sound right. That sounds corny. And (laughs) because it's really told in her 12-year-old voice. And so by the time the manuscript's in its like 100th edit, she's now 13. So a lot of the language she thought, well, that just sounds corny. I'm like, because you were 12 and now you're a teenager, but it's written for kids ages preschool to sixth grade. You know, it's pretty wordy because we like words. Mm -hmm. So it's not a picture book. It has illustrations, but it's witty and it's informational and it says what you can gives ways you can help your friends that are have hearing loss. Like there's ways to be more supportive and it's supposed to be encouraging and inspirational. And then we end the book, the back of the book is all pictures of our real family with captions. So you get to see all the people, the characters in the book, you get to see them in real life, which is something that was Harper's idea because she's like, I always want to know more about the person who wrote the book and the characters in the book because they're all real people. So, Valley, for our listeners tuned in, where can they find my battle call to get their own copy of Now Hear This, Harper Soars with Her Magic Ears? Well, they can go to mybattlecall.com. That's where I host my site. And then I'm on Facebook and Instagram, same name, My Battle Call. And then Now Hear This is on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. And then there's a link from my website. You can get straight to the book. And also, I wanted to offer to your listeners, if they want to email me, I have author copies that I can sell uh, where we can sign personal messages. On your website, you talk about the power of positivity. How important is it for individuals who were just told they have hearing loss or parents who are told that their children presents with hearing loss, how important is it to embody the power of positivity and to embody a positive attitude? I would say I never underestimate the power of encouragement. I believe in you have to see it to believe it, but, but if this is unknown territory, like the first deaf person I ever met was my own son. So how could I see it? What did I know? So I think sharing stories, I think that's how we encourage others is we share our story. And that's why Harper's on this book tour with me, you know, so I'm like, they don't want to hear from mom. They want to hear from you. Like you're the kid living this. And you know, my kids, I get encouragement from them. It's crazy. They really do not think that their hearing loss is anything that should make anyone think they're inspirational in any way. They just think it's just one part of them, which is true, but they do root for the underdog. And I think they're more empathetic because of it because of they've had challenges, but I think sharing our stories is probably the uh, best way we can encourage others. You're tuned into the Hearing Matters podcast with Dr. Gregory Delfino and Blaze Delfino of Audiology Services and Fader Plugs. We had Valley Gideons from My Battle Call talk to us today about her experience with individuals and her own children who do present with hearing loss. Until next time, hear life story. Thanks again for tuning into the Hearing Matters podcast today. I'm your host, Blaze Delfino, and on behalf of our entire team, 
Thank you so much for the support. Truly, it means so much to us. Head on over to the Apple Podcast app and share your thoughts. What did you like most about this episode? And what do you like most about our podcast? Five-star reviews are always appreciated. And also head on over to Instagram, hit that follow button, and let's connect. And as a team, we can continue to help our community hear life story.